Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today we're excited to bring back our special guest, Caesar Echienda. We've got updates about Ray Fisher and Warner Studios and go deep into both Justice League versions. This just in last week. All right, so we're welcoming back Caesar to the show. Caesar was here for our last season episode all about the drama behind what was going on with I Stand with Ray Fisher. And it was Ray Fisher versus the executives at Warner Studios. I want to say thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate uh, being on the show again. Yeah, like I just want to mention that we are recording on April 7th. And April 7th morning or April 6th morning, uh, there was a big article that came out from, I believe, The Hollywood Reporter, where Ray Fisher actually opened up and he did a big tell-all interview and he got pretty specific with the allegations that he was asking Warner to investigate. So is that where we should start? Kind of going back a little bit, I think... I think we can probably start near the end of our, our last conversation just because there has been other things leading up to what happened over these last few days, right? With some of the Gal Gadot stuff as well as Ray Fisher. So I think it might be good to at least track back a little bit because obviously there was some more Josh Whedon stuff that uh, is really important. Um, yeah. You know, when we talk about Charisma of Carpenter, uh, Amber Benson, I believe as well, as well as Michelle Trachtenberg. Absolutely. Um, which, you know, was I remember when we got to reading it, we were kind of honestly in shock of, of what we were reading and, and the fact that there were so many people kind of understanding what was going on. So um, I don't know if, if, if that's okay with you guys, but I think it's yeah. I think that's where we, we might want to start. I'm down with that. I think we start right where we left off. Ray Fisher, he was offered like a cameo role. Uh, but he was actually shooting for a significantly larger portion. And so there are SAG rules that generally dictate, depending on the size of your role, you would get a certain rate. When he and his uh, agents started to speak to Warner about that, they then also like released news essentially that smeared him, that suggested that he was asking for double his salary, um, which, you know, it's possible that, you know, from a cameo role to the next level up, your salary would get bumped, I guess. And then, of course, the decision to write him out and not to have him in the Flash movie at all. And I believe that's when Charisma Carpenter came out with a statement against Joss and signed it, I stand with Ray Fisher. That sounds about, yeah, that sounds about right. I would add that he was definitely, from what I understand, let go. He did say in a public tweet that he wouldn't work for a Warner Brothers picture under the ex- the current president, Hamada, Walter Hamada. Kind of running the, the DC movies. That's right. He would not do that. But he did not quit. He just made the statement that he wasn't going to work for that guy. And then we heard he was pulled. So it was something he... It, it seems like... Oh, did he... Did he, maybe he got fired, then he made that tweet, and then the news broke that he got, he was fired? But oh, but it wasn't God. even that, because Warner Brothers specifically said, well, if that's the case, then unfortunately he will not be working on this. Because Walter Hamada 
is not leaving these projects. So it was kind of a two for two, uh, you know, Ray Fisher doubled down and said, I don't want to work for this guy. And Warner came back and said, okay, that's too bad. He's still here. Wow. Crazy. But I, but I would still say that that's kind of like letting him off the project. That's, that's that's a way of firing someone. I would agree. They're producing a, a version of Flashpoint, which Cyborg in in the comics has a pretty strong character in there, and and he he's pretty important to the actual movie or or the storyline. Definitely, from what I read, they wanted to keep him. They wanted to make sure he was back. You know what? He had every right to feel the way he felt. I think he also knew that the things that he wanted to be gone were were never going to happen. So. Was he playing maybe a little bit of a game to see what would happen? Maybe. It's kind of hard to say. Uh, but he definitely knew by saying that Walter or Hamada was never going to leave. Um, and, and at that point, you know, he's kind of put himself in, in a position where he's not going to be able to move through the movie. And uh, to be fair, I, it's, it's kind of sucky after especially watching um, the most recent uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League and, and saw his his growth within that character um, would have been nice to see him in, in an additional role or additional movie. So it's really interesting, right? Because here is a, uh, you know, a character, a beloved character is going to be in a movie and he's, uh, he's going to do this. And Warner brothers from Warner brothers point of view, they have like done the full investigation that he asked for, including after it was done, Ray Fisher was like, Thank you for doing that in a way, right? It was kind of like, okay, we'll we'll see. We have findings. Look, there was bullshit on this movie, which we all 100% saw when those findings came out. There was definitely tampering with the color of uh, the, the heroes and like messing with the grading a lot in the Joss version, which we totally saw from the Snyder Cut. But it sounded like Ray was happy that the investigation was done to his satisfaction. And then later on, these comments came out about Walter Hamada because he was still in talks to be cyborg. And that is when Warner brothers was like, peace be the journey. (laughs) I like that. Peace be the journey. (laughs) So it's very interesting. You're right. It, it is very interesting. Like it seems to me that Ray also speaks like he is regretful that he's not in the flash so it's it's difficult to like know how they got here that he can't do that role and you know yeah and i think we can all really put a lot of blame on one mr joss whedon for making it a very uncomfortable shoot it this is a guy on a power trip Telling him like it is, who are you? You're going to do it this way. I don't take notes from you. Working with like a a fairly new actor, trying to put this actor in his place. And good for Ray Fisher for being like, yo, slow your roll. You're new to this project. You don't know what's taking place. And also, who the fuck are you? So what do you guys think about Charisma Carpenter's statement? She basically, I mean, the things that she says had happened, like the way that he wrote her off of the show because he was upset that she was pregnant, the way that he really 
expected people to fall in line um, and when they didn't there would be consequences and this attitude of favorites that he would put onto sets like what do you guys think about all of this when when I first got the message from it was actually Jay who sent me the tweet um, which I obviously read and um, it's interesting because um, over the last couple of months obviously with the pandemic I've been able to kind of see a lot of different shows and ran through the whole season of Angel and obviously seeing her 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 leave the show and how you know it was kind of a crappy way of him getting her off real crappy like the the whole storyline leading up to it and everything was just awful and and obviously we I think we talked about it before was the fact that we knew that there had already been talks that he had fired her because of the fact that she was pregnant and you know those those whispers kind of never died down but I guess they've they were hidden for so long because she never had really spoken out. And um, I guess with all the, the whole Ray Fisher piece, um, she decided to kind of come clean and, and be able to say what she said. And um, honestly, hearing what he had, like reading what she wrote about what he said to her, especially whether or not she was going to keep her baby, you know, whether or not she was going to come back to what she was or like to, to the role that she was going to come back to, um, you know, it honestly, it sounded devastating for somebody that's, you know, going to be a brand new mom. And hearing the things that he was saying to her, and to be fair, um, you know, it, it just became one of those things where you kind of look back and watching that show again, you kind of feel that he had something out for her, and um, it 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 was literally on those pages, and obviously, kind of having her explore those things and say that through those tweets, um, you know, it 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 kind of reaffirmed the fact that there was a lot of things going on, and obviously, her ex co stars like um, Amber Benson and. I think one of the saddest parts or one of the scariest things was about Michelle Trachtenberg when she came out and said that she was never allowed to be alone with him. That was messed up. Can we talk more about the Michelle Trachtenberg statement? Because I don't think I knew the full details. And so can you guys just like get in? Like what happened there? So Michelle Trachtenberg, she actually responded to what Sarah wrote. And Sarah wrote, well, I'm proud to have my name associated with Buffy Summers. I don't want to be forever associated with the name Joss Whedon. I am more focused on raising my family and surviving a pandemic currently. So I will not be making any further statements at this time, but I stand with all survivors and abuse and I'm proud of them for speaking up, which Michelle Trachtenberg then said, thank you, Sarah, for saying this. I am brave enough now as a 35-year-old woman to repost this because this must be known as a teenager with his not appropriate behavior, very not appropriate. So now people know what Joss did. The last comment I will make on this was there was a rule saying he's not allowed in a room alone with Michelle again. So like that is... Her whole statement was oh, just there's that. An again. We don't know. That is that is it. So Oof. something happened in a room that made Michelle Trachtenberg feel incredibly uncomfortable, and that could never happen again. I don't know what happened in that room. I have my ideas, but it is clear to say something happened Michelle did not want to happen. She talked about it on set, and there was a rule that it would never happen again. Because she would never be alone with this man. As horrible as all of this is, and it is, it's horrible. I'm like shocked. I, I, I had seen the Amber Benson statement and I had seen Sarah Michelle Gellar, but I guess I didn't see the rest of it. What's crazy is, 
or at least the one thing that is a silver lining is thank goodness that on that set at least they made that rule you know what I mean like at least thank goodness that that was a rule like horrible that it had to be a rule but thank goodness that it wasn't like oh don't believe her put her in that position again and uh and i will say some of the men came forward james master marsters james marsters uh spike came forward and said well i will always be honored to have played the character of spike the buffy set was not without challenges i do not support any abuse of any kind and i'm heartbroken to learn of the experience of some of the cast i send my love and support to all involved now i believe that james probably knew more about charisma than the others because he continued to work with charisma on supernatural, which, you know, they were talking <laughs> about how crappy things were on Joss's sets when they were working on uh Kripke's set for sure. Uh, so I gotta, I gotta believe that. Oh yeah. They played a couple together. Yeah. They played a couple together. So I gotta believe that they probably talked a little bit more then, or maybe they didn't, maybe they just came on. Did their roles, went back to their families? Maybe I think Charisma people knew to. what was going on. And I'm sure that people were talking during set while it was happening too. Of course. I, I should I should also add, uh, apparently David Boreanaz, who, who played Angel, um, was one of the people who stood by her when she was getting fired. Um, even though obviously he continued playing Angel for I think another two years after she was fired. Um, he was the one that wanted to keep her and he fought to, to have her in there. Um, while he never made a specific statement, um, he is apparently really good friends with Charisma as well as Sarah Michelle Geller. Um, so he he must have known as well of what was going on. And um, it sounds like he voices opinion quite early um, of what had happened. So that makes me happy um, to hear. I think, that's... I think he's I'm happy to hear that about him. But tying it all back to Ray, Charisma Carpenter participated in the Warner's media justice league investigation as a character witness she came back to talk about these things and when ray was let go as the the as cyborg in the flash film that is when she decided holy crap this has got to stop and she came forward with this so we are learning just more and more horrible things about joss and about the system that allowed him to be all powerful and consuming and ridiculous to hurt so many people. And I mean, it is hard to watch that justice league film that he theatrically theatrically put out and not see a little bit of glimpses of how did you mess this up so much worse? Well, you, you get little glimpses of him Because he, through the stuff he writes, which I think is really interesting. I worry that even though all of this stuff has come out with him, he's going to be able to just, you know, go undercover, not say anything for three years and then just be back and it's fine. Like, I worry about that because he actually, like, the more you hear about him, and it's so difficult because he was such, like... like an important figure to my growing up so like to then hear the all these things about him it's very hard and like strange and emotional and I feel like I would be very sad if he could just 
come back in three years and pretend like nothing happened and resume acting like a, a petulant child. Well, I definitely don't think he's coming back to one of these major studios if he's coming back. Because now that we know how he treated these women and how he treated Gal, who is like star power for Warner Brothers, like 110% Disney and Warner Brothers will not let this man back. Yeah, you say that, but when you, in the Ray Fisher article, the timeline is that, like, so on set, Gal wasn't very intelligent, clearly. She knew her power. Like, she knew she had a, a hand to play here. Yep. And she did. She pulled in the people she needed to pull in, and she went straight to the top, and she dealt with it. She went like right over away. his yeah. head. Yeah. Because this guy could. is threatening my career. He seems to think that I don't matter to this universe. Guess what? I do. Wait till Wonder Woman comes out. And She's the only successful thing. Now Birds of Prey 2. But like really that's it. And Birds of Prey not really because that was like pandemic kind of. Oh no. Wonder Woman was already out. But, but wasn't this being filmed at this like before Wonder Woman jumped into theaters and then as they were doing the edits, Wonder Woman came out and they realized, holy shit, like that is amazing. Wasn't the timeline like very close together, Wonder Woman and then Justice League? I thought Wonder Woman came out before. So Wonder Woman came out in May and the and Justice League came out in November. And Justice League came out in November, same year. So I would think that... The reshoots were probably happening as soon as she ended filming Wonder Woman or, yeah, or while Wonder Woman was in post and she came back for that. Joss is all power trippy. Uh, who are you? And then he finds out who she is because <laughs> kaboom. Wonder Woman's the biggest movie of the summer. Ray Fisher is not as powerful as her. So he had no plans to like to play but like, like he hadn't been in anything this is the first time we're seeing him right that's so but here's the thing so after this happens you know like gal went over joss's head at this point i'm not sure whether or not ray has actually complained but obviously there was some turmoil because he had gone to people to complain in some minor capacity during filming and so they know that people are complaining about joss and they even had a situation where their big star is not happy with him. But then he went on to be working on two different projects. And then only after the investigation and remedial action has taken place, did he actually get let go. So Right. And the Nevers could still be coming out. I think it is still coming out. He just won't be running that show. Exactly. He's not. The, he's not going to be running the show. And so that's what I mean is like, he got away with it. Like they were allowing this to continue. It took more to actually get him fired, which doesn't put me in this headspace where I believe that they're never going to have him back. Uh, you, you could very well be right. I'd be very disappointed if that was the case. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens, I guess. I think we're all caught up on what is going on. I think we can get to Film Freak soon. Let's do it. It's Film Freaks. Chatter for the film fan and all of us. This is maybe our biggest Film freak segment to date. We watched not one, 
but two Justice League movies for a total of six hours of movie watching experiences. And we are ready to get all into the differences between these films. But to start, Jay, why don't you tell us a little bit about Justice League Whedon? Yeah, yeah. Let's let I'll be as quick as I can. So the Joss Whedon Justice League movie is about a dude named Steppenwolf who's trying to collect these three mother boxes so he can rule the world. And Batman tries to get a new kind of team together to fight Steppenwolf and he resurrects Superman. Superman smiles at the end of the movie after they win. And then the Snyder Cut is about this dude named Steppenwolf who is trying to collect these three mother boxes so he can come home and redeem himself to this bad guy called Darkseid. And Batman, he tries to get this new team together to fight Steppenwolf and resurrect Superman. And then Superman turns into the bad guy at the end of the movie after they win. I feel like that's fair. (laughs) That's fair. I think that's like a really good differentiator between the two. I want to talk about the... Can we just start with what everybody thought? And I will, I'll quickly go first and then I will pass it to Caesar, I think. So I think that Justice League, the theatrical edition by Joss Whedon, like very few moments that I like. I think it has has a tone that I like in places, in places. Remember, he's like Frankensteining this other work. Yeah. The Snyder Cut, I think, is a really good movie. I don't like a lot of parts in this really good movie, but I think it is paced considerably well for a four-hour film. I think it tells a story in a, in a very non-convoluted way for a Zack Snyder vehicle, unlike the Justice League theatrical version, which just feels like a mess. And I'll talk about the things I don't like later, but... I do think, ultimately, it's a really good movie. Caesar, over to you. If we're talking about just uh, Zach's version of the movie, I think um, I, I'm going to agree that I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. I liked it. Obviously, there are parts that I, I found a little bit off. Um, and, and it's to be fair, it's typical Zach kind of creating on, on his own little story within the story. Um, but in terms of what we got in comparison to the Justice League version, I guess you could say, is obviously a, a more in-depth characters that, that we, we didn't get in the first movie. But for me, I think what, what kind of sets it apart is the fact that there, there was a, a, a reason to the madness for, for Steppenwolf. And, and to be fair, some of the, the weirdness of, of like the other things that we're going to talk about shortly uh, didn't matter as much. But I also want to say that this four-hour movie was most likely wouldn't have been its the- theatrical version anyways. So we're kind of getting a, a, I guess like an extended cut of what we would have got in the theaters from what from from Zach, um, but you know what I I thoroughly enjoyed the movie and and I think it's it's probably one of his better films he's ever made. And going over to you, Ivana, thoughts on both of the films? I did not like the tone of the Justice League because it didn't fit with the content presented. It completely made no sense and I like in my mind this movie cannot be canon because it doesn't fit with anything else previous in this world and Batman was ruined um and with the Snyder cut I 
didn't enjoy the experience of watching this movie. It's long, but I agree for a four hour film, it's well paced and each segment has its own rhythm and letting the actors breathe is actually really quite lovely, but somehow it's missing something. So I find it rather like a chore to keep going along. Although as I go, I'm forever impressed I'm I'm like I think this is masterful and I think that it's really well done and the more I think about it the more I like this film and I I'm actually looking forward to watching it a third time where I'm not just watching pieces of it because I actually think I might love it next time all right so let's talk about uh the things we like the most I'm gonna talk Justice League like what do we like the most about the Justice League Ivana, it sounds like you like nothing of the Justice League. Uh, color grading. And I am going to just <laughs> worry that that makes me really racist or something um, because I didn't realize that he lightened people's skin or darkened people's skin or I didn't realize that. So I feel guilty already, even though I'm saying this to the public internet. But but I, I liked that the world was less... Like it was more colorful. For example, I really love the color in the scene where we introduce Wonder Woman and it's on the scales of justice and they're golden, but aged and just, I don't know, the color of the sky. Everything about that was just very pretty. Um, and I, I like the coloring of his film. I'm going to also ask Superman in color or Superman in the black suit. So Ivana... Which Superman suit do you prefer? Well, in this film, black. Okay. Well, like, yeah. Okay. So I just meant specifically in either film, black or the, uh, so you go black. black. Okay. Caesar, what did you think of Justice League on your rewatch? And are you going Superman color suit or black suit? Based off the two movies, I'm, I'm definitely going with the black suit. I wish they would have explain why he went to the black suit with his little Jesus moment when he went up into the into the sky and obviously with the sun it would have been a little bit better because not many people really understand why he has a black suit but that's for another conversation um, what I did like about Joss's version um, and as much as the fight for example with um, Wonder Woman um, for example comparatively when you compare uh, at the beginning where she's fighting those those henchmen um, she's not killing them in the Joss version. She's not throwing them against the wall. There's blood splat- splattering from their heads while she's in front of kids. And then all of a sudden, when you compare it to, obviously, the, the Zack version, she's obviously killing them, throwing them around, ends up blowing him up in front of these kids for, to be fair, no reason other than the fact that she could. Um, I think Joss kind of got the tone a little bit better. Um, especially for a character of her magnitude. And there were some quips that he, he added that definitely made more sense um, to the movie itself and would have been actually a nice addition to, to Zach's version. So th- those would be the highlights for me were the fact that he kind of took the tone of like Wonder Woman a little bit better and, and made her, you know, not as killy, <laughs> not, not much of a killer. Um, and obviously some of the, the, some of the tone that he gave, like the flash, um, was something that I liked Caesar. I, I, I love your answer about that scene with wonder woman because I, I think both scenes are like 
it's a really great introduction to Wonder Woman for Justice League in both films, but I, I feel like this tone is weird in Snyder because you're right. He She blows them away in front of these kids and then turns around and you have this moment where she leans down and says, you can be whatever you want to be. And it's like, yo, what? You just murder people in front of us. <laughs> and you switch the tone over to like, listen, little girl, you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up. And I, like having literally this you just a number people. of times over the past couple of days, I just want to stand up for Snyder and Diana's decision. And I actually appreciated that little moment. Oh, I love the moment, but it's weird in the context of the scene because of yeah. what else is happening. But it's not really because like the, the context of that moment is She's ushering everyone out of this room and she notices that this girl is not moving. She's paralyzed in fear. So she reaches out to her to say, how can I like essentially, and I'm not, she's not, I'm not using the words, but like she's saying, how can I, can I help you? Like I'm here, don't worry. And, and the girl is comforted by her appearance. And yes, the words are, you know, what can I be when I grow up and blah, blah, blah. But like, the scene is about her giving a little bit of strength to someone who is weak and afraid to get up in that moment. And that to me feels grounded in reality. Well, that feels grounded in the character of wonder woman. Yeah. But I also, I also just watched 1984 where she held a guy up by her, like by his one leg and like smiled and winked at a child. So it's weird in context to see the blowing away of somebody versus how cheerful she is with children. Okay. Do you want, can I actually, cause I have been thinking about this with regards to wonder woman for a while. And like, do we want to just go into the wonder woman thing? Well, I haven't talked about justice league. We could talk about it. 1984 in a moment. Okay. Fine. Uh, I, but I do want to just say like, I don't dislike wonder woman being nice to a child. I think that, I don't understand why Joss didn't keep that in his film. Like that should have been in. It made the more sense in Justice League. Yeah, why moment. wasn't it in jo his version? Exactly. Ugh. It was yeah. ridiculous. It ridiculous. made no sense why that was cut. It works so well for her character, unless he was being spiteful, Joss, and wanted to make her look bad or whatever, because that's what he told her he was going to do. Because he's a jackass. But it it fits very well, I think, in the tone of Joss's movie more than popping up in Snyder's film in that moment. I love, I want Wonder Woman to be a beacon of hope for children. I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. I love that. I don't think that it's a problem that she killed in front of children. I just don't see the issue. She saved them. Like, who are we to say, because she's a, like, she's not someone who doesn't kill. Like, she's not a Batman who's like, I like have we no also kill. just got an F-bomb right before that with a man telling children he's going to fucking kill them. Like, it's a weird scene for Wonder Woman to be in. But after like, if you're a killer and you're trying to kill children. But she spun a dude in a hula hoop. You would say fuck to them because that would be more scary. This all makes sense. I disagree <laughs> with everything you're saying. What what I like about the Joss version is Spider-Man. Spider is Superman at the end of the film. He smiles. He races with Flash. He he says, oh, 
I believe in that. Also truth and justice. Like he feels like Superman again for a moment. And I know that uh, that's not going to happen in the Snyder version because well, I, because just because I don't, because he doesn't, I don't think he likes Superman. I don't think he likes him. Look, the rea- the thing, the thing is, is that I fundamentally, you have a problem with the world that Joss Whedon had, had, has created in this whole, like from man of steel and, you know, Justice Snyder, not Joss. Sorry, you're right. Joss inherited the world of Snyder. Joss. I'm not even talking about Joss. I'm talking about Snyder. The fundamentally, I think you have a problem with the world that that Snyder created for these characters that would create Batman V Superman and man, like all these movies, not just Snyder. I want people to understand the world turned against Superman because of not just Zack Snyder, but Christopher Nolan. I want it on tape. <laughs> Christopher Nolan destroyed Superman. So the next time you talk to me about Tenet, I'm bringing up the destruction of Superman at the hands of Christopher Nolan. You know what? Yeah, like all that world, <laughs> like that Christopher, the Dark Knight world, which I think is the same world that we're in, right? This is supposed to be literally the same universe kind of. No, it's a, it's like a multiverse. It's just Nolan's happy to, you know, make it down to earth and grounded and all that stuff. Right. Okay. So there's just yeah. the Nolan always loving the ground to earth. But that's the thing is like, yes, if you explore, like the story that Snyder's trying to tell is gods on earth. He's like bringing back Greek mythology but utilizing the DC universe to do it. And what he's showing us is the gods fighting god fights above us while we exist as peons in the planet. And Yeah, I'll buy that. And and that that story, I hate to say it, but like the scene with with Wonder Woman checks out. And what I've realized and why I think Sorry, we're just going to talk about Wonder Woman now. I'll bully it in. (laughs) (laughs) What I realized about that character is she actually, the beauty of the character, she slides into any genre. So like what is important about the fact that there's such a big tonal difference between the first Wonder Woman film and Wonder Woman 1984, and especially when you look at it against the backdrop of the Justice League too, is that she just seamlessly fits in any genre but fundamentally still knows who and what Wonder Woman is at the core which I think is where you get a dark a more worried version of of Wonder Woman in the Snyderverse um but she's still fundamentally herself and that's why she had to have the scene with the little girl after all that violence because the violence comes from the world she's in but she's still Wonder Woman, so she's going to still reach out to a kid. It's like, without that, the whole scene doesn't work. And let's face it, like, we've also, you know, we're going off in a little bit of a tangent here. Uh, 1984 is canon to this universe, and Snyder Cut is not. So I disagree. Well, no, at the current moment (laughs) in time, the Justice League is canon. I'm... You don't have to dis... I'm telling you what the DCU is based on. The Snyder Cut is not canon. The, the Justice no, League... 
just doesn't you, even fit in the same universe. I don't even know how you can it, call it canon. Because it was it, it was created, it made it to the theater. Anything that got a theatrical release is canon. Snyder Cut is not canon. It may become canon, but DC has said it is not. The just the Justice League theatrical version is the canon version of this and the one that should be taken forward in the world along with 1984 like wonder woman 1984 the fans is are gonna canon. revolt and it's just not gonna be that way well that's what we are seeing now is the <laughs> release of snyder verse and obviously you know the the the, 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 the cult of snyder is coming out in full force we saw them on all the reviews of Godzilla versus King Kong, release the Snyder <laughs> cut, release the Snyderverse, release the Snyderverse, and like literally like just bombed all Warner Brothers stuff with you people suck, release the Snyderverse. I don't know. It's very interesting because it's the first time I think I've ever seen such a different, uh, like we got a version and now we've got a version that is different in tone, but still the same story. And we've never really seen anything like this before in our lives. Yeah, like the, from a film, like I keep thinking about these movies and I keep thinking about watching, like I feel like the only way to watch them is like at the same time almost. And I think I want to spend a day doing this because we've never had an opportunity to understand what a director's vision can really put into the same movie like that is not an experience that people get to have and now we get to have it and this is going to be what film school is made of is comparing joss's version to snyder's i really hope that this is not in film school because i don't think either one is like good <laughs> enough to be like all right kids we're gonna learn about these movies today 100 <laughs> like, like i want them learning about sound of metal words. i want them learning about better films this is where you learn editing, story, the differences that a director makes. This is going to be studied. All right, let's uh, let's move back to, we talked a little bit about what we like about Justice League. Uh, Caesar, starting with you, what do you really like about Zach's version of the Justice League film? Okay, so um, in terms of what, what I liked about his movie, um, obviously I think the, the opening scene with the Amazons, um, obviously a longer cut, but also he makes him a lot more of a badass. Like that just scene where um, the queen is like, show them your fear. And they're like, we have no fear. One of the best, one of the best action pieces of like comic. That, that was just, that was fantastic. And I got to say, amazing costuming for Themyscira. Yeah. Oh, incredible. Like it, it, that, that scene alone was probably one of my top, three or four um but that that piece was probably one of my favorite parts um i think there was a lot more depth to to flash obviously um his intro with um with iris honestly was the fact that they didn't even really speak to one another but you felt a connection a little bit weird with some of the slow-mo um, especially like the grain from like the bagel we will get to the (laughs) slow-mo Yeah, the slow-mo was, well, yeah, I obviously we'll get to that. But um, I, honestly, like, obviously the story flowed a lot better. There was more depth to Steppenwolf. Obviously, he had a reason to why he was there. Um, and obviously, honestly, I, I really like the Justice League group together. 
along with the little bit that we got of Darkseid. He seemed so menacing enough that you want to know what's going to happen next. And I think going back to what Ivana said was, there will be, I think, a reckoning coming down to Warner Brothers of maybe making a movie. Whether they do it in maybe a comic, or like a, if they do a comic version or a cartoon version, people want to know that three-part part of the story. And honestly, I really want it as well. And um, th- th- those for me were the highlights, but I think the fact that there was, I think what Zach did was kind of give people something to, to latch on to. And, and really, that's was it's still keeping me hooked. Ivana, what did you love about the Zack Snyder Justice League? It was so beautiful in the 4-3 framing. I Anyone who says that it was bullshit for him to do that, they're wrong. I do not care about the black bars on the side of my television. It was a whole new way to experience everything. Everything looked so much more grand. Loved it. Um, and the performances were really good, and you could you could see that. Um, yeah, that, those are my, my biggest, I think, things that I liked. What I liked the most about the Snyder Cut was we got a real coherent, linear story. And it made sense. We got a bad guy who I rooted for more than I did before. The problem that I have is I don't know if it's a great film because I keep thinking of the Joss version in my head and go, it's so much more enjoyable than the Joss version. Am I just doing a one-to-one comparison in my brain? And that's why I think it's really good. That's the part of me that like struggles a little bit here. Uh, But I definitely think the story is just way better told. In this one, we get more time with with, uh, all of the characters. There were some, like I said, and we're going to talk about them. I know this is going to be a long episode, guys. It is... (laughs) imperative that I talk about the things I don't like about this movie because there's a lot of them but I really enjoyed how they did dark side at the end I thought we were going to get a full dark side film I love that they did they took the Thanos approach where he was just kind of there walked away but menacing and and it was a promise that we are going to see this guy again and I hope we do I don't see why we wouldn't in this DCU universe even if it's not necessarily Snyder's canon that brings it back. Wait, 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 wait. How can you pick up from Snyder's dark side without acknowledging that this is canon? Just want to say this for our infinite new argument about whether or not Snyder is canon. Okay, Snyder is not canon. Caesar, back me up here. You know what I'm saying. No, no, he's, he's right. Because DC's already said that the Flash is going to retcon what's happened and fix the timeline, basically. So the new Batman is going to be the new Batman going forward, most likely in any Justice League. So Robert Pattinson's Batman will be kind of moved into after this movie as part of what's happening um, in the DC yeah, world. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that you don't have to exist in the Snyderverse because I also heard that you know all like 
like just as Robert Pattinson is the new Batman, um, there is also still the old Batman and that he kind of exists in his own timeline. And it's really just so like you can have both be canon, which is kind of the cool thing about the Flash. I I mean, sure. Like that could absolutely (laughs) happen. And Darkseid's whole Snyder Cut storyline could meld back in with Flashpoint. I think what they'll do is they'll keep what worked and, you know, marvelize it so that like four movies down the road, maybe at the end of Blue Beetle, we will see that vision of Darkseid re- resurrect itself. But that is not to say you're absolutely right that the Snyder Cut could not become canon with Flashpoint. It and just at this moment, it is not canon. Is not what in the I'm hearts saying. and minds and of w- many people out there. <laughs> I'm not trying to start a fight with people. I'm just saying facts. All right. They're going to start to release the Snyder cut on, on your, uh, all your tweets. I want to talk about the things that we really didn't like about. There's a lot that we didn't like about justice league. Uh, you know, starting with some of the quips were great, but a lot of the added footage sucked. And, uh, I want to talk really about, what surprising differences between these two movies that you thought was Joss, but was Snyder the whole time? Because I found there to be many. Okay, For can example, you give an example? I sure can. I thought all the humor that came from The Flash was rewrites by Joss. Me but too. But that humor was there always. I I've, thought yeah, Aquaman was too. a surfer dude. Because of Joss. Aquaman was always a surfer dude. That was a Snyder thing too. So I'm just curious about things that you thought, huh, that feels like a Joss-ism, but were in fact Snyder's all along. So the in the Joss version, we had the do, do you bleed? Which, to be fair, actually sounded like something that would have been from Zack. And obviously he came out saying, though, it didn't make sense for him as to why that would be in the movie. But that was obviously something that Joss included in the story, which, to be fair, I, I actually thought wasn't that bad of a line. Well, tied back to it, the movie before it, which exactly. made some sense. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I actually enjoyed that line. Yeah. So were there other moments where, like, even reverse, like Snyder, oh, wow, like, that was that was a Joss thing, but it felt like like the whole beginning of Justice League feels like the beginning of Watchmen, and I thought that was a yeah. Snyder choice, but that was a Joss choice the whole time. Where they hang on to the sign where it says "I'm sorry," yeah, like all of the, and it's like a I don't know if they're I don't think they're playing Hallelujah, but they're playing like something. It feels like the very beginning of the Watchmen movie that Snyder did, where everything's in slow motion and we're watching the world, and I'm like. Oh, well, this is obviously Snyder's uh, footage. Nope. That was all Joss trying to like make the movie look like Snyder's, I guess. If I were going to pick one more thing that I actually did like from the Joss piece that was put in by Joss was when they're on, I don't know if they're on the ship or on the hangar. And somehow, obviously, Arthur's got the, um, what do you call it? The, The Lasso of Truth. Oh yeah, oh, and yeah. it brought it brought some levity to the fact that you know they're going into battle. He was, you know, he was actually very honest of the fact that he was scared, that he didn't want to die. 
So it, it brought a lot of, you know, groundedness to the fact that you had Arthur really feeling the way he should be going into something he's never done before, which is obviously going to a battle like this. And then realizing it, you know, it was kind of a bit of a joke that he was sitting on there, but I, I actually liked that scene because you you got a bit more out of Jason Momoa than you honestly did in the rest of the movie. So, um, and I, I it generally genuinely felt like a really good scene that I could have seen that in Zach's movie and, and it would have been, would have added a bit more levity to it. So Snyder had a, a very funny scene with Alfred and Diana making tea. I love that scene. Like why didn't Joss use this? This is great. And it was all Snyder. Yeah. Uh, Ivana, do you have any differences too? I mean, I don't think that I know these movies quite well enough to have been surprised other than the major stuff that you guys are well mainly just you really mentioned Jay in your first post but like outside of those two things I I couldn't really 100% tell where one ended and the other began which is when I started to watch sequences like at the same time so that I could actually go in and compare and then I found massive differences like you would be shocked at the differences. Yeah, like like some lines are changed that I don't understand why they were changed. When Wonder Woman goes up against Steppenwolf for the first time, she says in Snyder's yeah. version, "I like no one owns me, basically. I belong to no one. Yes, yeah, I belong to no one. That's right. right. A very powerful Amazonian thing to say. And I think at Joss's, it's like... You underestimate me. Yeah, I'm like, why change the line, man? That was a great line. Uh, okay, let's talk about the biggest difference. The ending. Which part of the ending? Uh, the though? whole ending. Like, so at the end of... So the whole... The epilogue? Oh, no, no, no. We'll of... get to the... Oh, my God, that epilogue. Okay, we'll get to the epilogue. But <laughs> let's talk about, uh, you know, Flash and Cyborg's ending from Snyder versus Joss's ending, which is really punch Steppenwolf really hard, I guess, and smash the mother box. Like it's a pretty crappy ending in the justice league version where we watch flash time travel. Yes. And I know Caesar that gave you feels. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, uh, we obviously got a little glimpse of it when they were bringing back Superman. So we knew that he knew that he had that ability to do that. Um, but obviously every step he was taking while he was going back in time was literally regenerating what had just happened with the explosion, right? So, um, you know, him, just him saying that and, and hearing his dad's voice, I think that they had that over, like overlapping what he was, what he was saying or what he was believing. Um, obviously, we, anybody that's read the comics knows how, how deeply rooted his, his love for his father is and how he wanted to obviously save him uh, or get him out of jail. So... The fact that he, I think Zach put a lot of that into the weight of, of that moment for him was probably one of the best scenes at the end of that part of the, the movie um, and how everything was kind of coming back, including obviously like Superman and, and Cyborg and how they were regenerating and, and how he's able to help him through that. Um, but I think that also for me, and I think I, one of the moments that why I like that scene so much is because it reminded me of Superman, the original movie, because in that movie what had happened was that Superman decided to reverse the world and basically go back in time 
and I I don't know if he did it as an as a, like an ode to to obviously Donner because obviously he doesn't make a film like he does, but it, it actually resonated quite a bit with me because of the fact that it felt like it was something that he was saying for his movie and, and kind of bringing back as to what Superman did in in the original comic book movie. So Caesar, that was excellent. I love that we touched on the Flash, Ivana. How much did the cyborg ending resonate with you in Snyder's uh, version that was totally ripped out of the Justice League one? Uh, Yeah, like, I don't even know how they even determined that you could take that out of the story because the way that his dad plays into the climax, I feel like, is so important. And, like, at the very end when he's in the box and he's like... I don't know, like there's just a lot said between the two of them without needing really to be said. I liked it, but I also kind of thought it was um, hard. Like the the earlier parts of their relationship, I didn't love as much. Like I didn't love those scenes as much, but I did love the ending. Like it paid off really well in in the climax, I think. What do you think? Well, so I really enjoy the ending of... The Snyder Cut, I think it's, I like that they had a cohesive plan. It made sense, which I, you know, really appreciated <laughs> knowing the plan going into the, going into there that wasn't just like we use brute strength and try to beat up Steppenwolf. Like there was a plan. I would think we all agree that the ending to Snyder Cut is way better than Justice League. Let's talk about some of the things from the Snyder Cut that we really do not enjoy. There are a lot of things to like about it. What did we not like about uh, the Snyder Cut? I'm going to go first with one of my things. There's a moment where Martha and Lois are having a moment, and they're talking about Superman because he's gone, and Martha's really the only person who can talk to Lois about this, Because they're the only two people on the planet besides Batman who knows it's Clark Kent. And they share this really nice sentiment. And as Martha leaves, she transforms into Martian Manhunter for no reason at all. And all of the grief and love that you just had in that scene makes no goddamn sense at all. I agree that it's... Obviously, it goes back to the end of the movie as well, where it seems like they just pigeonholed John Jones into this movie for for no apparent reason. Um, because at the same time, you wonder where the hell were you this whole time? Great question. He's one of the most powerful like superheroes in this but Caesar, universe. His friends call him the Martian Manhunter. Oh fuck, that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> I literally like, wrote, I, I, wrote a note saying. Martian Manhunter, fuck off! It should be John. And it wasn't. Yes, yeah, sometimes I'm called Martian. I'm like, what? Get the hell out, uh, Ivana. What, did you uh, did you feel the same way about this about this moment that was completely lost? So I also felt like, what the hell? Like, because the emotional moment was stripped. Uh, but I guess I just didn't care as like I didn't have an emotional reaction it was like he turned into Martian Manhunter and I was like oh okay another thing that's happening I you know what I (laughs) don't like about the the, I don't like that what you just said yeah like there is this 
way of the fun being sucked out of this movie. It's like there is no fun to be had. Even the funny scenes. Like I I think maybe I was surprised at how much of the comedy was in Snyder's script. um, Which I think is a sentiment to how much he cared about character. But not necessarily like all the fun is gone. There's no fun in this universe. and, And it's hard to watch movies that have no fun for four hours. For four hours. Caesar, what is uh what's something that happened in the movie you didn't like? Um I didn't like the fact that there were three fucks in this movie that made it an R rating for no reason. Uh, okay. I just want to say that I think the violence makes this movie an R rating. Even just like just look at the violent that is the violence that is kept in like the Wonder Woman scene versus the violence that is cut. It's not just the fucks. Many more things lead to an R rating. And I firmly believe this movie would have had that regardless. And also, it's on a streaming platform and really ratings don't matter. It matters <laughs> to me. You've made a rated R movie that kids can't watch Superman in. Why is Superman in a this rated R movie? This world is not for kids. This is not the Superman for kids. This is a Superman that is a god. Oh, there is I, no I such don't. thing as a Superman not for kids. They're just, this is not, this is not, none of these movies in this like Snyder created universe to me feel very kid appropriate. Like the Snyder ones. Like I'm, I'm talking like those films. The tone of those films, what Let's goes into them. Let's just call it what it is, please, Ivana. The Snyder Nolan. Snyder and <laughs> Nolan <laughs> took Superman away from children. They did. So like. I think Nolan is a producer on this movie. Oh yeah, too, he, ta- he? he definitely is I a producer so. on this movie. Like not just executive producer, but like producer. I remember from the credits. Let's but, never forget. But like. Look, all I'm saying is that the fun is gone and what kid wants to watch four hours of no fun? Yeah, but it's a su- it's a comic book movie. It should be fun. I understand what you're saying, Ivana, but I agree with Caesar. There's no reason to have three fucks in this movie. Look, whether or not there are fucks, this movie is not for kids. <laughs> and so I really hate that people like get so upset about fucks. <laughs> I get upset about it because it makes no sense. If Cyborg is the heart of your movie, the literal heart, I don't want to hear the literal heart of my movie saying, fuck the world. It does not register. Immediately, I'm going to be like, well, you're just super heroic, aren't you, pal? But that's the world that we're talking about. Like, I, what, that's what I get. I get it. You don't like the world, but the world is the world. I also think to the added of fuck in the epilogue, which I I, want to act like I'm going to wait to talk about the epilogue because I think the epilogue deserves its own moment. Caesar, Ivana, can I do, can I talk like just openly just for a moment to our, uh, our listeners and specifically our listeners who've given me grief on Twitter for, uh, for like a year. Would you guys mind if I I steal our air? The floor is yours. All right, so uh, so my my Twitter people who have been roasting me forever for not feeling anything in Batman v Superman when Superman dies, uh, and and you've all told me for year for a year now, don't worry, that's gonna pay off. 
with Snyder's Justice League. We're really going to feel that impact of Superman dying in that in that next movie because you're not supposed to feel it at the end of Batman v Superman because like why would killing the person who has a name in your title resonate anything in you? But for a year you have been telling me and I'm speaking specifically to you and you know who you have told me that it pays off in the Snyder Justice League. I'm here to tell you you're full of shit because it sure did not. <laughs> I want to thank you guys for letting me just spin that yarn for a moment. Well, what's funny is one of the parts of just, uh, like Snyder's Justice League that I really liked was the opening um, and starting with Superman's death again. So I think it's actually rather funny that that these Twitterverse people that you were speaking to even mentioned it at all because the, this movie clearly was listening because it starts right back there. And I thought the cool part where you did kind of feel it a little was um, you the watching of his cry like hit all the different characters. I thought that was really fun and I thought that was a whole sequence that was really cool. Every intro like really liked when um, Lois Lane like would give coffee to the police guy and coffee to the great, I don't know. So it was a great opening. I, I agree. Like, I like that cry too. I think Caesar and I, while we were watching it, we were texting back and forth about this cry, but that was not an impact of its death. It was almost a plot device to start the mother boxes. Like the Kryptonian war cry that should have been this thing heard around the world, which it was literally just woke up the freaking devices that you're going to have to find in your movie. So no time to mourn there. Let's get Batman in here because we got to stop Steppenwolf. I, I don't know. I thought that it was good. I liked it. I, I felt like the world, there was this like malaise, like all the characters felt as if they were having a crisis of faith and wondering what is the point of living anyways. And, and like that, I think that's what the death of Superman is supposed to make you think is like, what is the point? Sure. <laughs> like maybe, I, I don't know. I just, I just did not feel anything in either one of those moments for Superman. And when Superman came back, don't get me wrong. I think Superman making a choice to do something different than what we've seen him do. And when he's selecting the suit is maybe like the best Superman scene that I've seen Zack Snyder do because we're getting the voice of not only Jor-El, but we're also getting Kevin Costner's voice overlaying out over that. And it's a really meaty Superman moment of him choosing his destiny. And I, I was there for that. And then what I thought we would get was like sort of an incarnation of, you know, the smiling Superman that I liked in Joss, but no, we like got a real, like a punch heavy Superman. who was just like, he was going to lay a lot of punches in a Steppenwolf. And I don't know if I, after that, it delivered on the promise of that second chance. But I, I really enjoyed that scene. Th- that scene, too, you're right, was probably one of the best Superman scenes that we've we've seen Zach do before or ever. Um, 
I what what actually made me like that scene more, obviously having the two dads kind of kind of giving him a little bit of a pep talk while he's going through it. Um, it would have been, I think it would have been great for him to, or you know, obviously him choosing the black, and then having the the Justice League team or any of them actually say like why he ch- like like chose the black suit. Um, but the, the little smirk that he got when he got hit by the axe. That to me was Superman. That was great. That was perfect. And then the little, you know, he's blowing the cold air into it. Like that, that was in essence what Superman is. Somebody that's there to protect, but then also have that little smile on his face, which honestly, Henry Cavill fills those boots. He just needs a better director to do it. I don't know if we're going to see him again. I I I, I, I don't know if he's coming back. He's got his boots filled with Witcher blood now. Uh, he could do both easy enough. Caesar, can you explain the significance of the black suit for anyone out there like me who does not know off the top of their head? Yeah, so the the really when when he died, he obviously came back with the black suit. Um, in the comics, it, it was really basically a regeneration suit, which allowed him to pull energy from the sun to obviously heal a lot faster so that he would be able to build up his strength a lot quicker. And that that's what he really was using the black suit for. He obviously transitioned back to the blue and red suit later on, but the black suit was there for him as a healing purpose so that he would regenerate a lot quickly, or a lot more quickly, and then obviously be able to fight um, fight whoever he's going to be fighting with. That is a really cool tidbit. Like, So that's like the kind of Easter egg that if you already know it, you're like, whoa! And that was that was teased before the theatrical version, so everybody was expecting to see it, and then we never got it. So, oh, yeah, because Joss brought it all the way back to that uh, that red and uh, red and blue suit, because he, I, I'm, I'm guessing, wanted more color, like what you were saying, Ivana. Well, the color grading. I mean, he he should have still gone. He made a mistake. Like, let's just leave it at that. Yeah. Should we talk about that epilogue now? Yeah, let's do it. Yes, we should. So that epilogue, in my opinion, goes off the fucking rails. Yes, it does. Yeah, elaborate, guys. Let's talk about this. So the epilogue starts with, uh, you know, um, they've beaten Steppenwolf and Batman is buying up property so that he can have like a, you know, a hall of justice for all of these people to come in and, and, you know, more chairs to grow. And, uh, you know, it's a really cool moment. Then we see, um, well, we see Barry Allen get the job at the, uh, forensic science department, which is great. And we see, you know, wonder woman and cyborg and their little story. And, uh, they're going, protecting people whatever they're doing i can't remember what they're doing doesn't matter because superman is still in the freaking suit and he busts open to reveal the shield and to me that's a great ending part for the movie well you you, you missed one thing though when is is the epilogue where they're back in smallville bringing her back like, oh home? yes yes or is that so what what there was a change in that movie from jo- like Joss's version to Zach's where Lois Lane is actually carrying a baby basket and in Joss's version she's carrying a box. 
So the confirmation that Lois is pregnant will also help us understand the end of this epilogue as well. I don't know if anybody else got that. That is interesting. Very important. The baby. I, I completely forgot about the baby basket. Totally important. Uh, and then we have the shield. He, he pulls open. You see the black shield. He's still got the black suit. And then we go to like, I guess Arkham Asylum and Lex Luthor is there. Because I guess. Or is he? I guess, I guess Metropolis doesn't have any like asylums. So is I that really Arkham Asylum? I really did not appreciate Lex Luthor being in this movie. I forgot to mention that that's one of the things that like I didn't like. Well, okay. I, and that is fair. Because a lot of people do not like uh, this version of Lex Luthor. So he has broken out of prison. He's on this like super yacht. And Deathstroke, we've seen this. Actually, we saw this at the end of Justice League. That was a great ending. And the Josh's version with that ending or that uh, mid-credit scene was, was actually it really was good. It was really good because he says, Lex Luthor being the he, says to Deathstroke, we should start a legion of our own. And insinuating they're going to make the Legion of Doom, which is great. In this version, that doesn't happen. In this version... Like Lex Luthor just straight up gives out that Bruce Wayne is Batman and now you can go and kill him. But then there's a hard cut and Deathstroke hasn't killed Batman. He's now teamed up with Batman because we are now in an injustice future where Superman is the big bad guy and he's back to wearing his colored suit. So obviously that means something. And we know that Lois would have died because we saw that flashback in this movie to him crying with like Lois's skeleton in his hands. And Mira's there. And Darkseid. Sorry? Darkseid is there. And Darkseid's right behind him. Oh yeah, Darkseid is like controlling Superman at this point. Uh, We have Mira teamed up with Batman and Deathstroke and Cyborg there. I think Cyborg might be there. And... The Flash is there in some weird, like, post-apocalyptic costume. And we hear Jared Leto's Joker, like, talking about giving Batman the reach around. And, uh, you know, he's talking about how he killed the boy Wonder. And, like, really trying to rile Batman up, even though they're just trying to have a truce so they can take out. Like, one question. Why is the Joker needed at all to beat Superman? He does not need to be there. Two, Batman is killing people in this universe. How the fuck is Joker still alive? That would have been like, oh, I just crossed the line. I'm Batman. I know the first person I've crossed the line with. Joker. Three, this is where the third fuck comes in. And I feel like you don't need it to have the same impact as Batman saying, I'm going to kill you because that's a big deal. If you know anything about Batman is that him killing Joker is kind of crazy big. It's a big deal. So like adding the F word doesn't make it more of a big deal. It's always going to be a big deal in that moment. Three fucks. Sure. You wanted Batman to say it. Sure. I get the impression That this is like just Zack Snyder's 14-year-old like running wilds now. And he just like really wanted to do what he wanted to do in this moment. 
I don't like any of it. What about you guys? I can't stand Jared Leto's Joker. Um, and, <laughs> and it's weird because like as time goes on, I like less and less like him in movies. Um, but like I love Requiem for a Dream and that's Jared Leto as well. And he ruins the Joker. He does a bad Joker in the, even in this in the Snyder version of the universe. He doesn't even do a good Joker. There's no time when what he's doing feels grounded and real. It feels like him playing something. And it like I hated that whole I hated that whole bit that whole thing. But yeah, I might have to agree. I I didn't. I like the idea of what he was going to, and obviously this was a, a scene that he added actually when he found out that he was going to get his own version of the movie, right? So him going out and, and adding the scene honestly doesn't really mean that much to me, but I, when it came to Jared Leto's Joker, I, I liked his look better than his look from Suicide Squad. Um, but the whole little back and forth with him and Batman really didn't tell any story. Um, aside from Mira's weird voice, there was a <laughs> bit more understanding as to why they were there. So I think it, it would... I feel like... I feel like Zach wanted to give people a Batman and Joker from his universe some time alone or some time together rather than actually infuse the story better so that we understood why we're getting an injustice, for example. Um like Mira talking about, you know, the fact that she's, you know, she obviously lost uh, Arthur. And you actually saw that with when he killed him in underwater, right? So understanding that bit of the story and kind of maybe focusing on that a bit more as, as to why they got to this spot. Other than just kind of giving a bit of a glimpse into it didn't really, didn't mean anything. And it it was just an extra 15 minutes that didn't need to be in this movie. So. Yeah, like. I didn't like it. I feel like all. it was just a a thing for fans not a thing that deserved to be part of this story i i totally agree and of course we learn it hasn't happened yet and it's not real because batman wakes up to the most atrocious martian manhunter moment in the film (laughs) because oh that made it even worse he is now outside introduces himself hi i've been here the whole time how are you and then he says the line we've already talked about where he calls himself the Martian Manhunter, which is ridiculous. Uh, he would say John. And then he flies away, and that's the end of the movie. You all of them most call him John. I think it's more impactful to end on Superman Shield, and that is your promise. And then end after, like, you know, the the Deathstroke thing is being like a mid-credit scene. That's yeah, way totally. better. Totally. In conclusion, because we've been talking for almost two hours. That's true. I think the movie's really good, but I also keep thinking about how just much better it is than the Joss version, and I get concerned that I only think it's really good because of the Joss version. And I, and I don't know if I'll ever get over that. But it's such an interesting thing because it's not like I have another Jaws movie to compare Jaws to and be like, oh, yeah, this was how Spielberg initially wanted it. 
four hours of Jaws. Like, we got the Jaws we got, and that's what we got. This is so unique. And, Ivana, I'm starting to kind of come to your side of thinking that maybe people will be studying this. It is so unique, but it might not be. Have either of you guys been tapped on social media about the Schumacher cut? Of Batman Forever? Yeah. I have heard of that. I have heard of that. I have heard of that. So have you guys had people reach out? I've had people reach out and like ask me to join the cult of the Schumacher cut. And I'm I'm like kind of curious because now I want to see like what did he want to do with the movie? And and like, yeah, like give him a shot. Like, I don't think this is a perfect movie, you know. I think it's somewhere maybe like a four, a three and a half to a four. The The problem is I didn't enjoy watching it a lot. Um, and that makes it hard. Also, I, I will say that I don't love some of the CG with um, Cyborg because sometimes I feel like his head floats above his body. And that really bothered me. He didn't feel as grounded like inside of a, a human no, yeah, he, he... Like, not human, but, like, a form, you know, like, a physical thing. Like, he felt sometimes, like, I felt like his head was, like, f- bobbling around. He looked a little bit better in the theatrical cut, for sure. Um, like, in the moments that he was in. And then there was obviously some... I think a lot of the scenes with him and the mother box with the CGI came off really blah. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Like, the, the movie has its faults. Um, and I think the faults are, to be fair are very much what you'd find in any Zack Snyder movie where he tends to it, rambling is kind of the wrong word for a movie, but it just kind of goes on to a point where you're like, Oh, okay, let's just, does this need to be a slow-mo like for every little piece that you think that is important? Like it, it kind of gets to the point of, of what he does and he, he over, well, at some point you just kind of, it's a lot hard of story. to keep attention. Cause you're like, Okay. Yeah, exactly. It it is. You're just like, okay. Like, I, there were times in my second viewing, I was like, okay, I know what's gonna happen. I kind of fast forwarded a little bit just because I needed to to speed it up. Um, it, it, I think going back to the Schumacher piece, there might be a, also another movie where there could be a theatrical cut version, and obviously, this comes down to the air cut of Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah. I have heard a lot about and there that. Has been, and there is talk of him doing that. And he is open to having his version being realized. Because he's made a lot of those shots. And we, obviously, living in Toronto, we we saw a lot of those location shots and never made the movie. So there are a lot of scenes with the Joker that we know of that might change the movie. Would it be a lot better? Probably not. But I mean, we've seen it with Snyder's version that it, it is a bit better of a movie. Well, not a bit better. It's quite, quite a bit quite better. A bit better. Yeah, yeah, I bet we get a better story. Ayer's version of the Joker was really weird and, and not a good weird. Like, to be fair, like I said, I actually like the look of Joker in, in the epilogue a lot better than what we got in, in the Suicide Squad. And his laugh was kind of still kind of weird to me and... Some of the some of the weird things of like the reach around, which I I would never think the Joker would ever say that to to Batman. Like that's just not something he that's would say. That's what I mean. Like it's like a fourteen year old going, ha ha ha. What would I like my yeah. superheroes to do? Because it's rated R, and I can get them to say anything. Yeah, it, it yeah. 
but I, I would be definitely interested in, in seeing the air version of, of his Suicide Squad. If he was ever allowed. They've already said that they won't do it, but I mean, it took four, what, four years you know for what, us though? to see? You know what, though? I think it's... the success of the Snyder Cut can change everything. You know what I mean? Like, studios go where yeah. the money is. But how much money did they make on a streaming service? That's a great question. Like, I don't know if we'll ever see it. But yeah, like, I don't know what to say, but I've seen this movie already more than I see most other films. And I didn't even enjoy some of it. Like, like I, ha- I found it not fun. Yeah, but you were also like doing prep for this episode. OK, yeah, but like I'm infinitely I could watch it again and again because I feel like I don't know. It's like a master class in what directing means in slow motion. <laughs> like, let's face it. If you're ever going to make a movie with slow-mo, like you better study this movie because in the first hour, I think we get 70 shots in slow motion. (laughs) I bet half of this movie is is slow-mo and that's why it's four hours. No, they, they, they did say that there was, I think it was definitely over 20%. 20% of your movie is slow motion shots. That is bonkers. I mean, it is an The only time you need it slow-mo. But the only time you really need the slow-mo is for the Flash to show his fat, like how fast he is, and Supes. What To show how Some fast Some of the other pieces. For sure. But we didn't just yeah. get that. We got sesame seed bun slow-mo. We got walking into the water <laughs> and polluting the ocean slow-mo. We got all kinds of slow motion. We got Aquaman throwing a whiskey bottle into the ocean, man. But hey. Yeah, that was, that was weird. Let's be honest. That was weird. It was just really weird, you know. It was just bizarre, and I or Amber Heard's like Amber Heard's voice was just oh so weird Amber Heard. So here's the thing: this goes back to canon. Did he just like totally reshoot everything? I'm very weirded out by that. I think it was ADR. Like I, I like I think a, a bunch of that was you need to revoice this in a normal voice, and then that became canon. So she had to do that in James Wan's. Aquaman. So they filmed the Justice League first. Yeah. And then Joss took over and said, I don't like you with an accent. Now you're going to re-record everything without one. Then obviously she had to film Aquaman without an accent. But then Snyder was like, fuck it. Well, Snyder already had filmed her with the accent. Right. So So it had to be there in the Snyder cut. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, totally. And don't forget, though, too, in, I think, Snyder's version of this movie, her parents are dead. Yeah, they are. And in Aquaman, her dad is alive. Oh, yeah, he's super alive. If there's one question that's going to come out of this movie, or or this Zach's version of the movie is, and and what's happening, obviously, what what started this conversation is whether or not Ray Fisher will ever get his own movie or ever come back to this universe. I can't. And what do you guys think? I don't think so. Like, I, I just can't. I feel like those fences are broken and until there's a change in management, I don't see it happening. I mean, I also don't see him wanting to come back and work under, uh, you know, Jeff Johns and Walter Hamada. Like I, I can't, I can't see him saying yes, but I sadly, I, I can see them recasting him and it'll be the second time in a big comic book universe that a black man gets, replaced which is shitty yep i'm I'm gonna agree with 
with both of you. I don't think he's going to be back. And I, and I don't think it's... The only way he's back, and, and this is the only way I think he's ever coming back, is if Zach does his movie. Totally. Like, if there is... Uh, and there could be. I mean, if the fans ask HBO to give Cyborg his own thing, that could happen. The But I just want to reiterate that the problem for me is that he's a head on a CGI and it doesn't look quite right and I don't know if I could handle a whole movie of that like someone would have to do it the CGI better so that it looked better and it's not like they're gonna put this cyborg ever into a Teen Titans role there it's always gonna be like this cyborg is Justice League cyborg. No, you're right. There, just just on his character, it, it it will be it would be hard to make a movie for him, um, and I think that's why it would have worked so well if he was in the Flash. But obviously, we're getting a, a different version of Flashpoint, and there's going to be additional characters like you know the first ever Latina version Supergirl, right? So it, it's it's going to be good. Um, I'm actually looking forward to that movie. I thought Ezra Miller was great, um, so but it it would still have would have been nice if if Ray Fisher was in it. So yeah. So one thing that I thought was kind of interesting that kind of came out alongside all this stuff, just to talk about Krypton and multiculturalism. But back when they were making a TV show called Krypton, they were trying to cast, um, you know, Man of Steel's grandfather and. Um, I forget the actor's name, Rege something. He's on Bridgerton, which I don't watch. And he did a really good job of watching, uh, hosting SNL, which I do watch. Um, that guy, he he was actually like potentially going to be, um, you know, Superman's grandfather, which I think would have been really cool to do blind like casting and sort of say, well, in Krypton, your father can look like anything. They're aliens. Yeah. Like, why can't they be anything? Yeah, yeah. Like, what the rules of our genetic stuff does not have to apply. Also, they're kind of like made in a Petri dish, so who cares? Well, in this Man of Steel world. Caesar, as always, man, like, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. We talked for a great deal about uh both of these justice league movies and we always love having you on the show no i love being on it thanks for having me thank you thank you thank you obviously i listen to you guys quite a bit um obviously the last one being the 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 rabbits or the bunny ones which i thought was pretty funny happy to to join and and hopefully we'll be able to talk comics in the future i'm sure that we're gonna have you back again (laughs) all right so ivana next week we hit up our top 10 turf war Movies of 2020, and we are going to include all the Best Picture nominations because we've seen them all, so you might see some in our personal top tens, and that comes out right after Oscar night. So you will be waking up to probably Nomadland having one Best Picture, and uh, and you will get our beautiful top ten movies of 2020 list. So we have a surprise for everyone. Uh, it's not been a secret that Jay and I have been super into Clubhouse and spend a bunch of time there. So we decided that we're going to do the top 10 movies of 2020 plus the Oscar nominees 
live on Clubhouse. We're going to record it. Anyone who wants to join us, you are welcome. We're going to be there on April 24th, 8 p.m. Eastern. If you want to join us, if you're on Clubhouse, Caesar, I know you're there. Um, I'll be there. This is going to be so much fun. We've never done it before. And you get to hear actually how much more we talk about that doesn't make it into the episodes. Absolutely. It'll be super fun. We're going to start at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So uh, if you're on the West Coast, that's five o'clock for you. So just uh, I'll put it up. I'll make sure that it's there and we're ready to roll. And if Ivana arrives late, you'll have me to, you know, keep you company. But she's going to be on time. So it's going to be I'm going to be on time. And we're going <laughs> to do our top 10 turf war. It's going to be very exciting. And we're going to do it live, which is awesome. I wonder if I can do like the intros live and all the splitters and stuff. It'd be great. Oh, that'd be fun. And that's the show. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in again next time. If you'd like to help support the show, just hop on your favorite podcast service, hit that like button, give us five stars or however many stars you want to give us and give us a review. Hey, our intro song comes from bensound.com and we encourage you to check out all of our show notes. For more information about our music, our talented voice actors, our incredible guests and sound effects. Jay and I love to hear from you, so we built a website, morethemovies.net. And in case you hate websites, you can email us at hello at morethemovies.net. We're also on Facebook, More The Movies Podcast. Or catch either one of us on Twitter directly. I'm at Jester Jay. I'm at It's Ivana. Thanks again for spending some time with us. We're back in two weeks with this all new episode that we are going to be on Clubhouse recording. And until next time, friends. Do more. And watch more.